Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. I'm Linnea Archibald, the Associate Editorial Director for Actus, and I will be your host for today's show. We have a great show lined up, and I'm going to be joined by a few members of the Actus team very shortly, including Editor and Product Coordinator Carla Kozak and Associate Editor Jess Flugel. Today's show will provide a glimpse behind the scenes of all things Actus in a more casual, conversational format than our other podcast series, and it will also feature an interview with an Actus member involved in the association. Today, we are going to discuss CDI, medical necessity denials, and UR and UM with Mandy Petra, RN, CDI specialist at Rock Regional Hospital in Derby, Kentucky. Mandy's nursing career began in the emergency department as a team lead. From there, she was offered a role starting the CDI department at her organization in fall of 2021. When her UR colleague took a different position in May 2022, she was asked to absorb the UR role into her CDI responsibilities. She currently holds a hybrid role as the sole CDI and UR professional at her community hospital. Mandy's story will be featured in the September-October edition of the CDI Journal, which will be published in the coming days, so stay tuned for that. And before I jump into my conversation with Mandy, just a quick reminder that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after airing, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCDSO recertification requirements. We'll share the instructions at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. So welcome, Mandy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Let's start with perhaps a deceptively simple question. Could you walk us through your day-to-day work? What does your job maybe entail on paper versus what it actually is in reality? Well, sure. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to share with you today. Um, So my day usually begins with reviewing our patient census. We are a pretty small facility. We're a community hospital, and we average about 8 to 12 patients a day. Um, So when I first come in in the morning, I'll review anybody that's been admitted over the night and make sure that they're in the right status. I'll look and see who their insurance payer is um, just to determine if I need to provide notification of admission or if we need to request an authorization. We have patient rounding every morning, and um, all of the different Uh, members of the interdisciplinary team will come together. So we've got nursing, the hospitalist, respiratory, pharmacy, case management, wound care, and we'll discuss the patients, what's going on with them, what our plan of care is. Um, And then that's a great opportunity for me to ask questions if uh, I've read through the chart and I don't see something that like everything doesn't look quite right or if I need to clarify something. And then it's also been a really good opportunity to kind of provide education on different documentation things uh, because I can use documentation from all the different disciplines when supporting our uh, appeals. So um, then after rounding, I will review any patients that have been discharged in the last day and make sure that my working DRG is still appropriate. And I have a living spreadsheet that I work on with our coder who does our inpatient coding, and we can communicate with each other on that. So if the working DRG that I have in place is not the same that she's getting on her end when she runs it through the encoder, 
we can talk it through and find out um, what it actually needs to be. So that's been a really good opportunity for me to learn more on the coding side and to help her learn more on the clinical side. Uh, and it's just been a really helpful tool. We've seen uh, a really good increase in our case mix index since we started working together on that. And then once I finish discharge reviews, I will do a more in-depth review of all of our patients who are in-house and really comb their charts. I do, uh, we use Milliman Care Guidelines or MCG for any of our new admits, and I will assign my initial working DRG at that time. And then for our patients who have been in-house a couple of days, I will review them and just make sure that nothing has changed or uh, the DRG is still appropriate. And then uh, as I'm doing those reviews, I'll be making kind of mental notes on anything that might need to be clarified or anything that I need to talk to the physician team about. And this is also when I would do concurrent queries. And then I will submit authorization requests on any of our inpatients who are in-house. And usually I can do this through the payer portals, but sometimes I have to make phone calls and that can be a very lengthy task. Uh, and then I will... Um, start working on any inpatient denials or DRG audits that have come in. And before I leave for the day, I will go through all of our observation patients and just see if there's any criteria that they meet to help upgrade them to inpatient status. And I'll talk to our hospitalist team and just see if what I'm seeing in the chart is matching what they're seeing with the patient and if there's anything else going on that maybe we need to get documented or that might help us get them upgraded. And so I would say on paper, my work looks pretty linear, uh, but the reality is I kind of jump around a lot throughout the day as things come up or questions, phone calls, emails. So even though my goals every day are pretty much the same, I don't think any two days ever really look the same as I go through my work. Yeah. And in, in a way, how boring would it be if our jobs were just exactly what was on the job description like it, it keeps yes. things interesting but also oh absolutely overwhelming <laughs> at times I love it though because I, I come from the ER where that was one of my favorite things like no two days ever looked the same and even though you have a general idea of what you're going to be doing you know there's always a new challenge and so I really love that that's great and one of the things I really love about hearing about your day-to-day -day is how much collaboration you seem to have. And I, I find that that tends to be true with smaller hospitals, smaller facilities, just out of necessity. <laughs> like, you know, you work with your coder, like your, your one coder, not, you know, a whole group. So it, it really helps with that collaboration. I love that. Yeah. So one of the things I hear a lot is that even though there's definitely an overlap between the work that a CDI professional does and what a utilization review or utilization management professional would do, they do kind of require different lenses, if you will. Do you think that's true? And how are you balancing those two hats as you're reviewing a case? Yeah, so I definitely agree. There are a lot of similarities. I actually feel like the two roles are very complementary. I would say one of the big differences when I'm doing my that initial utilization review, looking for medical necessity, does the patient meet inpatient status, uh, is a little more black and white. So I'm reviewing the care guidelines and checking to see, does this patient fit in these boxes that the payers are going to be looking at? And then when I'm doing reviews for CDI or denials, 
it's a little more uh, critical thinking. So I'm trying to take the pieces of the puzzle and fit them together. And it requires a little more outside of the box thinking to make everything match up and um, to really paint that picture of what the patient looks like. So when I'm doing UR reviews, I'm thinking, all right, what do I need to see in the documentation so that this inpatient stay doesn't get denied? And then on the CDI side, it kind of switches to what do I need to see in the documentation so this inpatient stay, when it's approved, the diagnoses don't get denied. So I know for inpatients, there are guidelines that the patient has to meet to be approved for inpatient status. Similarly, with CDI, you know, diagnoses have certain criteria and conditions. Um, but I would say I definitely compare my brain to my internet browser, which typically has no less than 15 tabs open at a time. I love that. So yeah, <laughs> even when I'm doing that initial review for medical necessity, I'm thinking, all right, what opportunities do we have here to maximize this DRG? What uh, do I see that maybe the physician hasn't documented yet? Or what diagnoses do they have in there that I really want to make sure we get clarified? So um, even though they are kind of different lenses, as you said, really, it's so overlapping and concurrent. I have all of these things going on in my head at the same time, analyzing the chart from all the different angles. So I keep a really good to-do list. So as I'm doing those reviews, I can make myself notes and make sure that I don't miss things and I get back to the things that I want to double check. Yeah. I often tell my colleagues on the Actus team that the only reason I stay organized is because I have a list. And <laughs> it sounds like that's true for your role as well. <laughs> yes. I would be lost without my list. <laughs> yeah. Good advice for everybody. If you're not a list keeper, just give it a go. You know, it might might be helpful. <laughs> oh, and it feels so good when you get to check it off. Absolutely. So I know from what we talked about for the journal and also from what you have kind of mentioned in passing, you're involved with all sorts of types of denials from those clinical validation to the coding based to the medical necessity. So could you tell me a little bit about how you approach each type of denial that you're reviewing? How do they differ? Are there common targets that you see for each type of denial? Sure. So when I was growing up, my family always used to tell me, you need to think about being a lawyer when you grow up. At that time, it was because I was very argumentative. I would say I'm still argumentative. And I approach these denials with that kind of a mindset. Like, no, I know that we're right. And I want to find every single hole in your argument and bring it to light. And so I, I just love finding that rock solid evidence that proves we have the right diagnoses, the right status, the right coding. And I'm so blessed. Um, as you mentioned earlier, my work is very collaborative. And so being able to work with my whole team to um, find the things that I'm not an expert in and draw from their expertise to really defend the work that we're doing, I'm so thankful I have that. And so um, when we get like those initial medical necessity denials where they don't want to approve inpatient, I will pull those MCG guidelines that I did when the patient was admitted. And I make really great notes in there for all of the boxes that I check with the documentation that supports it. And then our revenue cycle is partially outsourced. So I have a teammate over there who will submit the, uh, the appeal for me. And so I pull together all the information for her and any supporting information and send it and she will compile it and send it off. And then when we get coding denials, I 
grab my coder again and I'm like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is my knowledge on it. What do you have from coding guidelines, coding clinics that can support how we did this chart? Because I trust the work that she's done and that we work together to do. And so she can give me that additional supporting evidence to provide. And then I would say that clinical validation denials are my just my absolute favorite. I love finding peer-reviewed journal articles or anything that really helps support our diagnoses or our treatment. And then I work really close with our hospitalist team to um, just learn more about the disease processes and treatments so that we can really have a solid defense when we submit those denials. So, or appeals, I suppose. <laughs> but I would say our facility, we definitely see what I would call the big three that everyone talks about for clinical validation, um, sepsis, respiratory failure, and malnutrition. When I review my list of DRG audits, those make up almost the entire list. So um, I'm really getting proficient at defending those. And um, we've had some interesting ones lately though. Uh, encephalopathy, I had one uh, for NSTEMI 2. And then I actually just got one recently that wanted to remove obesity and BMI from the diagnosis list saying that it didn't have any bearing on the patient's care or condition. So that was one I had not seen before. And then for the medical necessity side, we're actually seeing an uptick in denials for cellulitis, AFib, DKA. These are all things that um, for cellulitis, if the patient had failed outpatient antibiotics, that's that used to be very clearly an inpatient, but now they're denying it. And they've actually recently changed the guidelines. And then for our DKA patients and AFib, that once upon a time, those were automatic ICU admissions. And now they're saying they should be observation in the ICU. So those have been really more prevalent recently. Um, and on our coding denials, it's usually they either want to resequence a different diagnosis as the primary diagnosis and put it to a lower paying DRG, or they'll say, like the one I just had this week, they were saying that you can't code two conditions together, which actually was not true. And I was able to get with our coder and provide a coding clinic and the, the coding guideline that said the way we coded it was appropriate. But um, the payers definitely will use anything they can to try and get around making those payments. So sometimes we've really got to get creative and think outside the box with how we want to defend it. But I really love it. I love using that brain power. Yeah, it's um, like you said, I mean, it, it feels very, it's argumentative for a good purpose, if that makes sense. Like yeah. You're yeah. getting to use that kind of stubborn spirit, that uh, stick to if you will, for a really good thing. So um, it sounds like you found a, a great fit there. Yeah, I feel really proud of the work that our team does. And so being able to defend them and, you know, like I mentioned, our hospital is just a small hospital. So every dollar really matters. And we're fighting for dollars that are ethically owed. We're not upcoding or like trying to get more than what is rightfully supposed to come to us. So I just feel very protective of our team and our facility and our community. Absolutely, as you should. So perhaps the the million dollar question for a lot of CDI professionals involved in denials management is kind of how do you track your success? It can be sort of a sticky situation. There's a lot of factors at play. It's hard to get your hands around. So how are you tracking your data? I, I know you mentioned a spreadsheet. Tell us about that spreadsheet. And then 
who do you report that data to and how often are you sharing that? Okay. Yeah. My, my spreadsheet is kind of my baby. Like I don't know what I would do without it. I'm a very visual person. And so our EHR will let us track denials within the patient chart, but then you have to pull a report. And so being able to have it on the spreadsheet and just do a quick glance and see kind of where we're at is really helpful for me. Um, So I have two tabs. One is for medical necessity, where that initial inpatient stay is denied. And the other is for the DRG reviews. And I keep them color coded for where we're at in our progress. Um, If it hasn't been submitted, if it's in progress, if it's uh, highlighted green, that means we won. That's my favorite. And then uh, black means we didn't win, which unfortunately we don't always. But um, I keep track of that on there so I can quickly look at it and see, okay, how many denials do we have this month? Where are we at in the process? Um, and then those green ones, it's very easy to show what what we've been successful with. And then we have decided for our facility, it is very useful to have a once a month utilization review meeting. And so we come together and we'll discuss all things utilization review, including denials um, and where we're at in the process and kind of attach the dollar amount to that. Like what, what are we looking at and what are we fighting for? And so we report that to the CEO, our VP of finance, and our chief nursing officer also holds a dual role as our chief operating officer. And they're usually in attendance. And then um, sometimes we'll have some other uh, members. Our hospitalist is always there. And those are the main people that I report that information to. That's great. I similarly also love a spreadsheet um, to the point where I keep one that has all the things, all the moving pieces of Actus pretty much are in one spreadsheet. And I do refer to it as my giant terrifying spreadsheet. Uh, so feel free to borrow that terminology. I like that. <laughs> It's uh, the funniest thing is that it was originally like it had an official title and our one of our team members said she could never find it because she would always be searching for the giant terrifying spreadsheet. So now that is literally what the file is named. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like we're kindred spirits in our love of our spreadsheets. So I totally get that. (laughs) So it kind of zooming back to that that joint role that you're operating in between the CDI and the UR piece. Do you feel like that's helped you become a better reviewer? And how has that changed the way that you educate your providers and approach those topics with them? Oh, I definitely think that it has made me a better reviewer. Um, I've actually thought about it. You know, if I ever, if we grew so much that we had to separate the two out again, I actually don't know how I would unenmesh them. But on the UR side, learning about those medical necessity guidelines and what criteria does that patient need to meet on the front end to be approved for the inpatient stay has really helps me kind of uh, focus in on what kinds of things payers are looking at, what they are needing to meet criteria-wise for certain diagnoses. And so that helps me when I'm doing concurrent reviews, like does this diagnosis have the documentation and the chart that I've learned from these guidelines are key to this um, diagnosis, whether it's a symptom or a treatment. Um, And then I feel like it has really helped with educating our provider team on what kind of things 
they need to be considering when they get that call from the ER, whether uh, they should be observation or inpatient. And since I've really started collaborating, uh, sharing the MCG guidelines for medical necessity, I've seen that we've had a better accuracy with that initial admission. So we're not missing opportunities for inpatient from the get-go, but we're also not facing a bunch of denials for patients who were put in inpatient status and weren't really appropriate. So that really helps us capture dollars better. And then for traditional Medicare patients, if you put them in inpatient status and they really don't meet the criteria, you can't just change their admission to observation. You have to file a condition code 44, which then you can't bill observation. You can bill certain outpatient things, but you can't bill those observation hours. So it's just lost opportunity. And so knowing the UR side of it really has helped the providers make those good decisions on the front and then know better what kinds of things they really need to be getting in their documentation so that we can support the diagnosis that has supported the admission. That's great. Um, I think it's it's so valuable to have a more holistic view of healthcare and regulations and requirements and all of that it, from the denials piece to the UR piece to, you know, the coding piece, like all of that helps when you're reviewing a record to kind of at least have an overview level knowledge, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, I think so too. So we're getting close to the end of our time here. And I, I would love to ask if you have any advice for folks who maybe work for an organization with distinct CDI and UR departments, how do you suggest that they could kind of foster a collaborative relationship between the two groups? Are there areas that are maybe particularly suited for that collaborative collaborative relationship? Yeah, I think, you know, this sounds very cliche, but communication, as with most things in life, is definitely key. I think when there's two distinct departments, remembering that even though we are different departments, we're all on the same team, we have the same goal, and we really want to support each other and work together and not against each other. So I, this may not be a super popular answer, but I personally believe in meetings, um, even if they could meet together like once a month, that face-to-face time helps foster relationships and build rapport. And I think when you are able to visually see each other and speak to each other, you know, not just over Teams or email, that it helps you just have a greater respect for people. And like I said, remembering that we're really wanting to work together for the same goal. And so um, I think with CDI and UR, Uh, focusing on denials is a really great opportunity for each other because both areas have different types of denials that they deal with. But I think that there's a lot of overlap in the kinds of things that payers deny. And so if we can kind of come together and educate each other on what we're seeing, it will help the other one. Because in the CDI role, if I make sure that I've got my queries in there and they're compliant and my DRG is maxed, that's wonderful. But if that inpatient stay gets denied, then my maxed out DRG isn't going to have the impact that I would like it to. So if I know what they're seeing on the UR side, and I can make sure that as I'm doing my concurrent reviews, I'm 
looking for things that will support the work that they're doing, then we're really collaborating and making sure that their inpatient admission is going to be approved and our DRG is going to be maintained. And so um, I definitely think that's a great opportunity for the two departments to work together. And then also in team and provider education. I feel very passionately about education. And um, I think my hospitalist team is definitely the primary target of my education, but I take opportunities to educate nursing and respiratory and the other departments too, because like I mentioned earlier, their work and their documentation can definitely support our diagnoses. And so if you have UR and CDI coming together and looking for different opportunities for provider education, and then they're approaching it together, then you know they're not getting conflicting information. And then I think it will just help cut down on provider fatigue and frustration when they're having people come at them from all different angles, telling them you need to document this or we need you to do that. And so having that uh, united front, I think will really put more faith in the teams um, from the provider perspective as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, to end us here. It's it's not just about kind of making, you know, decreasing denials, making sure that the that the documentation is shored up from all perspectives, but it is also about that provider engagement piece where you don't want to be presenting multiple, perhaps conflicting pieces of information to them. Uh, right. <laughs> so that's a very important point, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Mandy, this has been a really fun conversation. I enjoyed talking to you for the journal and I've enjoyed this chat too. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for the discussion portion of today's episode. As a reminder, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you check out the upcoming edition of the CDI journal, which will feature an article with Mandy in it. That edition, when you are listening to this episode, will be available to Actus members this week. So that is very exciting. And as always, if our audience has any questions about the topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at info at I will also put that email address in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org and in your podcast app, and you can grab it from there. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. As I mentioned at the top of our show today, I am joined by a couple of my editorial team colleagues today, Carla and Jess, for our very special edition of the Actus Update that we do every few weeks here. So summertime, and unfortunately, is coming to an end, but it's generally a time for a lot of people that is quieter. It's a time to relax. It's a time to take time off, enjoy your family and your friends. And around here at Actus, that is uh, perhaps not as much the case. Summer, particularly the month of August that we're in right now, is a is a very busy time for our team as we prepare for all of the fall publications and the activities that are really right around the corner. And in my neck of the Actus woods, September is when we welcome a new batch of Actus Leadership Council members into the fold for the new term. And if you are a leader and are interested in being a part of that group, the applications for our 2023-2024 term are open until August 31st, which those of you paying attention to the date, if you are listening to this episode on the day it publishes, that is tomorrow. That is Thursday, August 31st. 
Council members are invited to a dedicated council-only forum thread, council-led panel discussions that offer ACTUS CEUs and exclusive networking opportunities such as our annual CDI Leadership Exchange, our mastermind groups, and our brand new mentorship program, which I'm particularly excited about right now. And they also receive a monthly newsletter specifically designed for council members, and they have a weekly opportunity to ask questions of other members and to network over email. It is totally free to join the council. You don't need to be an ACTUS member. You do, however, need to meet certain eligibility criteria, which are listed on the ACTUS website. And then you just have to apply by that August 31st deadline. I do really hope that you will consider applying to join us. It's a really great group, and I think you will find it really valuable. And that's not really where the fun stops uh, when council applications close tomorrow, because the new edition of the journal is slated to publish on September 1st. So Jess, you always do just a ton of work on the journal. So could you tell us a little bit about what's going to be in this upcoming edition? Definitely. Uh, From healthcare news, I've heard this is the year for reducing denials. So we were glad to spend the majority of this journal edition just focusing on this important topic uh, and how CDI programs can get more involved um, in it at their organizations. So there's multiple articles that have advice on writing a clinical validation appeal. You can get multiple multiple perspectives uh, on that from different contributors on how to do it. And there's even one on venturing into medical necessity appeals. Uh, My fellow editor, Joshua, wrote a really great article on tracking and proving the return on investment for CDI involvement in denials management. Uh, That one's a really good one. And we also have a special report on nutrition assessment data that I really thought had some fascinating statistics. Um, And outside of denials, there's an article about reviewing OB cases. Uh, There's a sneak peek into CDI week uh, and an article on promoting authenticity in a team environment. So basically, it's got everything. And I really hope ACTUS members will take advantage and see all the education advice um, that this edition has to offer because we're really, really proud of it. Um, I'm really excited about all the different contributors and um, their their special perspectives. And we were also able to draw from data that's collected from the CDI Week industry survey. And that's going to be published in a separate report at the start of CDI Week, Um, which speaking of, I think you were going to give us the rundown on what to look forward to next month for that, Carla. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It's hard to believe that CDI Week is just around the corner. I know I was joking this morning that I thought it was September. Um, but it really is close to September. And this year, CDI Week is going to be from September 18th to the 22nd. So we're about three weeks out. And the theme is extra special to us this year. It's CDI Success Stories, Writing Your Next Chapter. And we really worked to incorporate books and reading and writing into this theme as it's something that the ACTUS team is really excited about and really passionate about. So We're looking forward to hearing all of your CDI success stories and talking all things books with you as we move into CDI week. Earlier this year, we also asked for CDI professionals to respond to our industry survey, which just alluded to, answering questions related to provider engagement, professional development and staffing, outpatient CDI, denial trends, and technology. I think I got it all. So we'll officially kick off CDI week on Sunday, September 17th with the release of the industry survey report. Throughout that week, we'll also be publishing daily Q&As on the topics covered as well. And then on Thursday of CDI week, September 21st, 
We'll be hosting a free CDI Week webinar from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern. This is a great opportunity to learn more about what we've uncovered in the industry survey report, and also it's a good chance to earn one and a half CEUs for free. The Furthering Education Committee will also be releasing a list of suggested activities for you and your team to engage in during CDI week, and we'll be hosting giveaways and offering all sorts of discounts during the week. To stay on top of all of the CDI week updates and be the first to know when these resources are being released, you want to make sure you're subscribed to CDI Strategies. Now, we're looking forward to CDI Week and to talking all things books with you in September. And speaking of books, I've actually been working on Actus's own bestseller this past month with Lori Prescott, our interim Actus director, and Dr. James Mance. We work very closely together on the Actus Pocket Guide each year. Um, and it's packed with updates for the 2024 fiscal year from the final rule and it is available for pre-order now if you want to get some space on your CDI bookshelf ready. We'll be shipping out copies in November. And who knows, maybe CDI Week will even have a little something special to offer related to the pocket guide. You never know what you're, what's going to come in CDI Week. We uh, love to throw in some sneaky bonuses and discounts and all the things during CDI Week. It's really uh, the most wonderful time of the year around here at Actus, um, and I'm I'm very excited about our theme. We are a bookish group. I we've been pitching book clubs related to CDI Week. We're very excited about it. So I'm very um, very much looking forward to seeing how everybody is going to. Celebrate celebrate and participate and we would love to hear what you're doing and we'd love to see your photos if you get your team together for a celebration during CDI week. As always, if you have questions about anything we talked about or if you want to share your plans for CDI week or have questions about our plans for CDI week, feel free to. Or if you want to share your favorite books with us, we want book recommendations. We love books. Sorry to interrupt you, Linnea. I just had to throw that out there. I'm glad you did. I would love to get some book recommendations, uh, always. Um, that is primarily what we talk about in our group chat, I think. It's, <laughs> it's that and pets. So uh, send us a dog picture or a cat picture and send us your book recommendations. Yes, That's all we ask for in life, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, as always, the email address you can send those pictures and suggestions and questions to is info at actus.org. And I will put the link to all the things that we talked about in today's show notes, which are available on actus.org and in your podcast app. As a reminder, before we close out, each Actus podcast episode now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used toward your recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of posting. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then follow the instructions in the show notes for today's episode. Your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. Do note that in order to take that evaluation, you need to play the recording of today's episode at the bottom of the show notes page. The link for the CEU evaluation will appear all the way at the end 
when the music is over and the timer has gotten to zero. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, September 1st at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will not be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode any longer. With that, we have reached the end of today's Act as Podcast episode. We'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, September 13th for our next show, which will be part of our Leadership with Linnea series. That episode will feature a conversation about staffing and professional development and offer a sneak peek into some of our 2023 CDI Week industry survey data. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dion Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the free music archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at info at And until next time, take care, everyone.